Make sure you properly inflate those floaties because today we're diving into the card pool. I'm your host, Kyle Robertson. And I'm Stu Galetta. And today we're talking about the hidden gems of the set Odyssey. This is part one of our two-part set review, the following being the top 10 money cards from Odyssey. But without further ado, let's start the review. Sliding in at my number 10 spot is we have a lovely land called Tarnished Citadel. It's a land, like I said, it can either tap for colorless mana or it can tap for one mana of any color. And if you do that, it does three damage to you. I can't tell you how good it is to be able to produce any color of mana, especially through a card that doesn't come into play tapped. I love it because early game, if you really need mana of a particular choice, you can get it out. It'll hurt you a little bit, but you have the choice of making it so it won't. So late game, if you get this and you just need to increase your generic number of mana, this can do that. So if you think about it, this is kind of like a combination of like Grand Coliseum meets Mana Confluence. See, I hate to start this thing off on a disagreeing note, Sue, but I don't like this card at all. I'm sorry to say it. I just think that when compared to some of the other options out there, while this may be a fine budget option for some people, I just don't like it. I think that regardless of the fact that it does come into play untapped, which is kind of nice, and it does make colorless mana, paying three life for any color of mana, that's just a little steep if you ask me. I would much rather go with a card like Mana Confluence where I only have to pay one, or Grand Coliseum where it basically does the whole thing the same but comes into play tapped and you only have to pay one life, or even a Painland, for example. Well, if you start thinking into a mana build of pretty much decks that are running five four or even three colors, you'd rather be able to take some damage and play out your hand as opposed to sit there and hopefully cross your fingers and get something. Like if you look at any four color deck, whether it's Partners or Traxa or Brea, if you're missing one mana to play your commander, but you have like five or six mana and you can't produce it, I'll take three life any day to make sure that I can definitely consistently be able to do something. It's, it's almost like you said, a worse version of that. But it's also like having another version of Command Tower in an EDH deck. And by all means, I'd love to be able to put another one of those in my deck. Down at number 10 for me, I actually have this unassuming little common card called Diligent Farmhand. Now, for those of you who haven't heard of this, this was basically Sakura Tribe Elder before Sakura Tribe Elder existed. It's a one-drop green card. It's a druid creature, a 1-1. One, one. And you can tap two mana, a one and a green, to sacrifice it and search your library for a basic land card and put it into play tapped and then shuffle your library. Of course, it also has a nice little catch about if it's in the graveyard, muscle bursts effect counted as another muscle burst. That's a whole thing that I won't even get into because it's rarely ever relevant, but it's kind of nice to be on there. Kind of a cool thing. However, as I was saying, the reason this card is up there for me is because I think this card is very underrated and generally overlooked by a lot of players. As I said, it's Sakura Tribe Elder before Sakura Tribe Elder existed. It's obviously a little worse because you have to put a bigger mana commitment into it, but it essentially balances out the same thing in that it works on turn two. So, like I said, I think if your deck likes ramping up, getting a lot of lands, likes having creatures die and go to the graveyard, I think this could be a useful card in your toolbox. I agree with you. It's almost like a quicker version of Yavimaya Elder, if you think about it. Like, And there's a reason why he's in a lot of decks, is because he does something very similar to Soccer Tribe Elder. 
Except in this case, he puts the land right into play. He's got a sack effect, so that means he can definitely block and prevent damage and net you a land. Very good value card, especially if you're trying to boost out lands. Like, Titania or Titania would definitely love this, or any Omnath deck to, like, build its landfall count. It would be phenomenal. Now, moving on to a different color, we're going to tap into some blue mana. Sitting here at my number 9 spot is Chamber of Manipulation. For 2 colorless and 2 blue, we have a Land Aura. Enchanted Land has Tap, discard a card from your hand, and gain control of target creature until the end of turn. This is phenomenal on a lot, a lot of different reasons. So this is in blue, so the whole idea of discarding a card shouldn't be holding you back from it because blue just loves to gain cards in its hand. But also, being able at instant speed to steal a creature is so, so good. Let's say somebody plays their commander. All right, they're coming in, they have dash, they're going to hit you for lethal. There's a Blightsteel Colossus coming at you. All right, let me just tap this, dump some card that I don't need, and gain control of it. It'll prevent you from taking a lot of damage. It can prevent you from losing the game. And I mean, if anything, you can steal their creature to chump block, and it'll kill their stuff. Like, they can... Your opponents will lose a card. And all that for one card in your hand, I can't think of a better thing. Now, this is a card I do have personal experience with using, so I really can speak to how blatantly unfair this card is in only the best possible way. Now, this card really, really shines in a deck where you can use the creatures that you take for something, specifically a Jalira Master Polymorphous deck, which is where I played this card. Take your opponent's best creature, sacrifice its polymorph into one of your own creatures, or really, any other way you can sacrifice a creature for fun and profit. All you gotta do is discard a card and tap a land. The only downside of all this is, once you tap the land, you probably won't get to use it for mana that turn, and you do have to discard a card. But again, that is a small price to pay for, at instant speed, taking any one of their best creatures to do whatever you want with it. I love this card. I definitely think it should be played more. And you can combo with this. Like, if you think of, like, Seedborn Muse, there's tons of things that untap lands for you. So being able to get this to work multiple times is real. But enough about my cards, Kyle. What do you think you got up your sleeve for us? All right, well, I couldn't in good conscience, do an Odyssey block review without talking about the amazing squirrel tribal things that are in here. So looking back at this one is Nut Collector. It is a 1146. Now I know that sounds terrible, but let me just explain a little bit. It is a green creature, a druid once again, costs six, five, and one green. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a 1-1 green squirrel creature token into play. Now, the card also has Threshold, which means as long as you have seven or more cards in your graveyard, an extra ability happens. In this case, an extra ability is all squirrels get plus two, plus two. So if you think about it, if you have Threshold, and assuming I'm assuming you do, because that's the only way this card really works to its full potential, you end up pumping out three three tokens, every turn instead of one ones. That's pretty darn good. The last card that looked like that was Creekwood Liege, and as we all know, that card is incredibly good, still sees a lot of play, and is very expensive. The reason this one is not is because it does cost a lot more, is a lot littler in terms of stats, and doesn't make as relevant of a creature type when it comes to tokens. But still, I kind of like this card. It's a cool budget option for some 
maybe green and black type graveyard based sort of decks that like to pump out tokens. Obviously with something like Parallel Lives, this thing gets dumb just like anything else. But the main money here is that threshold that pumps all the tokens and who knows, maybe any other squirrels you have. I just think it's a good budget option for decks that like to do that. It is a good card and it can work in some situations. But for six mana, that's a little steep for me. And I mean, and to have Threshold. Now, don't get me wrong. I love having the ability to get free tokens like Awakening Zone or From Beyond, where they keep pumping out stuff for you for free. That's really, really powerful. But the fact that it's on a stick, in this case, meaning a creature, it's a little bit of a liability. I think late game, I'd rather be getting something else out with a little more, more impact. But for pure nostalgia of the set, yeah, squirrels were a huge thing back in the day. Well, admittedly, it isn't all that powerful. The 1-1 one, one for 6 is pretty fragile and overcosted, but hey, it's squirrels. It's maybe a fun thing to do. Good budget option. That's all I'm going to really say about it. I think in terms of balancing cards, though, see, we're going real heavy on the puns, and I love this, but let's take a look at your next card that has to do with balancing. <laughs> <laughs> well played, Kyle. Um, all right, so right here we do have a card called Balancing Act, and it costs four mana, two, and two white. Now, this one's a little bit long-winded, so stay with me. It is a sorcery. Each player chooses a number of permanents he or she controls equal to the number of permanents controlled by the player who controls the fewest, then sacrifice the rest. Each player discards cards from his or her hand the same way. So, in short... What this means is whoever is losing the game right now, who has the least amount of stuff on the field, and now it says permanent. So permanence also includes lands. So whoever has the least amount of stuff, if there's a board wipe and somebody only has five lands out and other people have a lot more stuff, you play this, everyone is counting down to five. That means enchantments, that means creatures, that means artifacts, and by certain lands. This is a very powerful card in the fact that you can make people sacrifice, not destroy. So it gets around indestructible, which is very, very key. Plus, it also makes it so it hurts people in the hand size, which can also hurt a lot of blue players or anyone who's really building a control deck. Well, the name just pretty much says it all here. It is a balancing act in that, as you said, it balances out the game to the terms of the player who is doing the worst. There are a lot of different variations on this kind of effect. I mean, restore balance being one natural end in green there's a few of them the most recent variations on this effect in white specifically are tragic arrogance and cataclysmic gear hulk all the same kind of cards in general but yeah as you said i kind of like this card too you have to be careful when you use it obviously because it is a very powerful weapon but it does exactly what it's supposed to do which is balance out the game and one thing I really do love about this is in white and red, we see a lot of land destruction cards. And those can be typically frowned upon, especially if it's like mass land destruction. This one's fair because it gives a person the chance of risk and reward. Do I decide to remove a land in order to save a creature? Or do I need to try to keep combo pieces out but drop myself down to two mana? Like it really can be a, a pivotal point in the game once this hits the field. Ah, the agony of choice. Ironically enough, that is all of what my next card is about. Because if you don't want to choose a small handful of things, choose all of the things. That is what this next card for me is about. Coming in at my number eight card for Odyssey is Cultural Exchange. Now, going to my favorite color, blue, this is a blue sorcery that costs six to play, four and two blue. You can choose any number of creatures target player controls. 
You then choose the same number of creatures another target player controls, and those players exchange control of those creatures permanently. Now, the reason that I love this card is, one, it doesn't actually target the creatures. It does target a player, but players are a lot more difficult to give hexproof. Then also, it doesn't specify you. So if you're in a multiplayer game, you can conceivably shake a lot of things up by giving two other players all of each other's creatures, or just one of them, however you want to mess with people. I really do kind of like that. Also, as I said, the effect is more or less permanent unless they find some way to take back their creatures. This kind of card, I love these sort of chaos-type cards that you can really use to your advantage, a lot like the Restore, uh, the restore Balance-type effects. This one, though, can create, I think, huge swings in where the game kind of goes, and you can really play politics with it. Yeah, definitely. And actually, I'm noticing the trend here. We have another six drop from you, and this one also has pictures of squirrels on it, so I should have definitely seen that foreshadowing coming. But I do like what you're saying, though. Being able to totally ruin someone's gameplay by making them swap out stuff is really, really big. Now, there is a land that can kind of go against this strategy, Homeward Path, and we have seen that in games, or I personally have. So, I mean, that land wouldn't be necessarily enough for me to not play this card, but it would be something for me to be a little bit more wary on. So if you are playing a deck where you love stealing people's stuff and abusing them with it, this is a card that you would love to throw in there. And plus, it's just great seeing people be like, oh, this is, I don't want to kill that because it's my thing, but now I'm facing it, and now this isn't what I want, and it, it really just makes the game on a whole other level of interesting. Going from a blue card to a blue land of sorts, tell me a little bit about your next pick. Well, you know I like to make it so that my land choices usually agonize you, Kyle. So um, here we're going with, like you said, another land. We have Cephalid Colosseum. Now, it comes into play untapped, which is great. Now, you can tap it to add one blue to your mana pool, and then this land deals one damage to you. But it also has a threshold effect. So if you pay one blue mana and tap it, you can sacrifice it. And if you do, target player draws three cards and then discards three cards from his or her hand. The initial tap effect isn't good. And yes, I know paying life for mana typically goes against what people would want to do, but the point of putting this card in the deck is more or less for the threshold effect. Being able to have card draw on a land is very, very powerful. And I mean, yes, you do discard three cards, but the thing is, is it more or less freshens your hand up. So you're able to make a more ideal hand. This is why people did mulligan rules for Commander when it first started. This way you're able to swap out stuff to get, optimize your hand a lot better. So yes, this does take threshold and it is a little bit of time to play and you're going to get hurt from it, but being able to draw from a land when you need it is really, really good. Yeah, I don't have too much more to say than you have on this other than, as you were saying, while it does kind of make me nervous that every single tap with this will do damage to you, the idea of having late game possible card advantage is very, very good. And when it doesn't cost you a spell slot in your deck, it's even better. I might also note that you can use this on opponents because sometimes them having to discard cards from their hand is going to be better for you than it is for them. So that's worth noting in and of itself. Now, would you say, would you play it for the price of glory? Uh, maybe, maybe. I might say that. I might say that. I see where you're going with that. Going from a card that could possibly be fun for you to a card that is fun for nobody. And that is why I like it. Price of Glory, as you were saying, Stu, it is my number 
seven choice here. It is a three drop red enchantment, two and a red. This has a just completely game stopping ability. Whenever a player taps a land for mana during another player's turn, destroy that land. As Stu can attest, I really don't go in for these kinds of land destroying effects. I think it's kind of almost foul play to destroy somebody's lands in the game of Magic. However, this one is nice because it doesn't actually destroy any lands. It only destroys lands if you make bad decisions. And by bad decisions, I mean playing anything at instant speed at any time. This card says no to instants, says no to flash creatures, and anything of the kind with a capital N-O. And being a red deck, you're going all out aggressive. You don't want other people to be messing with you during your turn or during other people's turns either. As long as somebody is not willing to get rid of lands, this basically reads, only play things at sorcery speed. And especially in a red deck, that's pretty darn good. Yeah, if you think about it, it's almost like a red brand abolisher. It's making it so that pretty much nobody's going to get to you when it is your turn, which is very good. Or if they do, they're really going to pay for it. Now, you can also make this work with tapping down other permanents, so you can inherently start blowing up people's lands, which, I mean, could be a style of play for it. But, I mean, if you're using more artifacts and you're tapping mana rocks for mana, this won't hurt you. So, inherently, you could be able to play stuff on other people's turns and not get the repercussions that they would get. Like, if you think of uh, Brea, for example, that uses red... Having stuff in the grave isn't exactly a bad thing. Or, like, having a whole bunch of artifacts to make your mana, there's no minus. Now, as I was saying, I think the Grand Abolisher comparison is a very nice one, because, like I said, this card doesn't make you do anything bad. It just encourages you to play in a certain way. And that's kind of why I like it a lot more than I normally would anything else with a land-destroying type effect. Now, looking ahead at number six for you, Stu, this is just a really interesting card because it kind of almost goes against what you would think of a traditional style of play. Again, kind of going with the theme here, so tell me more. So sliding in at my number six spot is Earnest Fellowship. This is a two-drop, one colorless, one white enchantment. Each creature has protection from its colors. Now, when you hear about that, you're like, is that good? And... I argue yes. The reason being here is when we think of protection, it, you, most people assume targeting. So that means like, all right, if I have protection from black, they can't waste a black kill spell on this. But if my color isn't black, then that isn't the case, right? It sounds almost a little perplexing. But protection does much more than that, actually. So if you think about it, if Progenitus, for example, is one of the most notorious creatures that has protection. When that creature attacks, it can't be blocked by any creature of that color. So in this case, if your commander is, I don't know, five-colored, four-colored, maybe even three-colored, it's going to be able to get damaged through. And as we've seen from some of the spoilers of the new commander sets, some commanders really need to make sure they hit damage through to have effects activate. And the more colors they possess, the better. Plus, there's also one other thing, and this is really key. When a creature has protection from certain colors... That means they can't be targeted with it, like we said, but some decks need to combo on those. So like Kiki Jiki, for example, is a red card, and some people want to be able to duplicate a red card with that effect. That completely shuts that down. So being able to completely stop that, like think of Saram, for example. You're going to be running a lot of white R's in that deck, and now making so he can't be targeted with that is a huge way to shut it down. 
Plus, it helps your creatures. It's It's got so many different ways to be great. It's incredible. That is actually a good point. I don't have too much to add, just a couple of things. One is, yeah, until I read this card, I did not realize that it applies to all creatures and not just your own. So you can really mess with other people's strategies. The only thing that makes me irritated with this card is that being a white card, especially an enchantment, it kind of seems to go against what most white decks would want to do, which is slap auras on creatures. So, like I said, in a Srom deck, this would really be a horrible thing to play or have to play against. But that said, as you were saying, there's a whole lot of reasons why this card can be really, really good. So I'm willing to give it a pass on that and say it's pretty cool. Now, going to my number six, and I won't lie, this card I chose almost purely based on name, because how could I not? Need for Speed. Ah, oh, I love that. It is a one-drop red enchantment, and I guess I just have a thing for destroying lands, apparently. Because, like I said, a one-drop red enchantment that has the ability Sacrifice Land, Target Creature, Gains Haste until end of turn. At first glance, sacrificing a land to give a creature haste may not seem like a great deal, but you have to remember what a game-breaking ability haste can be when given to the right creature, you also have to remember that this is a one-drop enchantment that can come out on turn one and be prepared to give any creature you would like to choose haste until the end of the turn, you know, for the rest of the game. Now, there are a lot of reasons in a lot of decks like Titania-type decks, for example, why sending lands to the graveyard might not be a bad thing. And also, as I was saying, I just love the, I love the name of this card, I love the flavor of this card, I think it was a huge flavor win, and that's mostly why it's on my top 10 list. Oh, yeah. I, I got to give it to you, man. That This card has a lot of flavor, and even its flavor text is awesome. I love it. Um, to me, it kind of comes off as Coordinate Crossroads. Like, that card is in green, and it's a reason why it's so expensive is because it is a way to win games for green. Now, this being red is the same kind of thing in this case. Like, you said play it first turn. I would honestly hold off and put this card in my hand and leave it till I'm ready to win the game. Because if I'm going to win the game, it doesn't matter how many lands I have. It matters is that I didn't die. Risky if you're playing commander and there's multiple players in there. But being able to swing in and do damage when you can is really good. One of the reasons I like this card and think it can be really good is sacrificing land is itself a cost. But there's not a mana cost. Plus, you can do that ability at any time, and not even during your turn, during other people's turns. Like a lot of other cards we talked about, this can be a politics card. Now, you just said something about politics, and now I have a very lovely red politics card. And this actually starts off the final five countdown for me. Each one of these is another color, so I hit the whole Wooberg standard on this list. So, sliding in at number five, we have Impulsive Maneuvers. This is another four-drop enchantment, two colorless and two red. Whenever a creature attacks, flip a coin. If you win the flip, the next time that creature would deal combat damage this turn, it deals double that damage instead. If you lose the flip, the next time that creature deals combat damage this turn, prevent that damage. So the really cool thing about this is it doesn't say you. Whenever a creature attacks, you simply flip a coin. So if you have someone attacking an opponent, someone attacking an ally, or someone attacking you, just say, hey, all right, let's just... Double down, flip a coin. If I get it right, damage is doubled. So if someone's attacking opponent with like, I don't know, a blight steal or a commander, so this way opponent can win with commander damage a lot quicker, it really can be detrimental. Now, if you're trying to help someone, 
flip it, call it wrong on purpose maybe, and, you know, it's fogged. All that damage is negated. It really makes it so that if someone's trying to attack and deal damage, it becomes very convoluted. And people are going to be like, hey, can you help me? Or, hey, can you just stay out of this for right now? Like, I won't attack you as long as you let me just attack normally. I don't want it to be doubled or negated. I just want a regular attack. So it really makes it so the dynamic of the game is totally changed. This card is really interesting to me because it seems to go against what Red would traditionally want to do in a way that Price of Glory kind of went along with what Red wanted to do. This seems to go against Red because Red's big thing is attacking. This seems to discourage attacking almost. Pretty much shuts down the combat step if you're not willing to deal with the uncertainty here. And it's kind of like a chancy version of a Gisela Blade of Gold Knight type effect. And I don't know, I just really don't know how I feel about this card. In a lot of situations, randomness can be a benefit, and in some situations you can use randomness to your advantage. This one you really can't. Random is random, and it's going to affect you just as much as everyone else. There's no real way to play around it. Well, yes and no. So, I mean, if you think about it, red is chaos, and this is by far a chaos card. But also, red does stuff where it makes it so people have to attack. So making it so that this can combo with that is a really good thing. But also, there is another card. I, I can't recall its name, but there is a win con with flipping coins. If you flipped a coin like 20 times in the game, it's an instant win for you. So this could be something to help lock it in. Now, I don't know how reliable that strategy is, but it's definitely a strategy to win, and this would be able to really make it win. Well, as my number five, I have a black enchantment this time. It's called Malevolent Awakening. It costs three to play, one and double black, and it has a very simple effect. You tap three mana, again, one and double black, and you sacrifice a creature to return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Now, this kind of effect, many people may be more familiar with a card like Phyrexian Reclamation, which costs less, but you pay a little life, to sort of do the same thing. This just ups the cost a slight bit and adds the caveat of sacrificing a creature to it. Honestly, though, I think this card, while not maybe strictly better than Phyrexian Reclamation, can be a very good role player in certain decks. If you need a sacrifice outlet, there really isn't a better one that's also a recursion outlet. This one kind of does both of them. And if I'm not mistaken, you can sacrifice a creature and then return that exact same creature to your hand. And while it may cost a little mana to use every time, I think the utility that this provides is well worth running in a deck that doesn't mind sacrificing its creatures every now and then. Yeah, Black loves sacrificing, and in a Grave Paxi kind of deck like this would be key. Now, there are a variety of different ways to sack creatures. This being like a version of, like you said, Phyrexian Reclamation is good if you are going for a sacks kind of style. Now, it is a little mana intensive, but I mean, beyond that, if you need recursion and you need it bad, this is great. This, this is all around good. Yeah, there's not much that I can say bad about this. You're kind of stealing my thunder here, Stu, because I see your next card is a legendary. I thought I was the only one that liked legendaries here. Nah, I love them, dude. That's how they become your commander. <laughs> um, this one, actually, I as soon as I read it, I was in disbelief, and I, I bought a copy of it. It is called Lieutenant Kirtar. It costs three mana, one in double white. It is a legendary bird soldier. It has flying. And as the traditional three flyer, it's got two, two as its base stats. For two mana, one colorless and a white, you can sacrifice him and remove target attacking creature from the game. 
Now, anyone who's ever done any form of draft, you've always seen cards and packs where it's like, this is an instant speed removal, provided that a creature is attacking or blocking. Now, whenever you try to translate those cards over into like another format, like Commander per se, they don't hold up as well. So it's kind of like, all right, it's good, but it's timing, and it's not always when I want it to do, like what it's going to do. Like overall, Sword to Plowshares and Path of Exile are almost better than any of those other cards. But this one's on a creature, and it doesn't have a tap effect. So that means you can play this guy out, chump block, tap two, exile it. Or you can even attack with it, keep piercing and doing damage, and eventually at some point to sacrifice it to exile something. It's got really good versatility, great stats, a great flyer, and I honestly don't really see the minus behind him. Yeah, one thing I will say, though, is kind of a lackluster choice as a commander, because obviously the somewhat conditional terms of the removal, the not-so-great body, and the fact that it gets more and more expensive every time makes it not really a good choice to be your mono-white commander. You'd probably rather it be one of the 99. However, that said, this, while it may be a bit conditional, like I said, is a perfectly serviceable removal spell stapled onto the body of an evasive, actually, creature. So... I don't have too much more to say other than while this may not be the most powerful card of this type, it certainly is pretty budget-friendly, and the fact that it's legendary can actually have some bonuses. So, yeah, I like it. I'll give this, I'll give this a thumbs up. One, one also little combo, like, like we were just talking about recursion. White does a lot of recursion, and if you look at Sun Titan, for example, he loves his three-drop permanents. This is one of them. So you can easily just play Sun Titan, bring this guy back from the grave, attack with Sun Titan. Now you have a constant Sky Blocker and Exile Attacker. So it can be continually synergized over and over again. Plus we also have like Ameria and like the Land or the Angel even. Like there's so many ways to keep bringing it back to put that pressure on. Like if you play this turn three and somebody has a turn three or turn four commander, they're like, all right, yikes. Because it doesn't have to attack you. It just has to attack. And that is very scary. I think that's actually the theme of my next card. So we're looking at a red sorcery, going back to red now, for Recoup. Again, as I've said with a couple other cards on this list, I think this is one of those that it's really a crime that this card gets overlooked so much because it's such a useful tool to have in your arsenal. As I said, it's a two-drop red sorcery, one and a red, and it gives target sorcery card in your graveyard flashback until the end of the turn, the flashback cost being equal to its mana cost. It also itself is able to flashback for four. Kind of looking at this card, it's basically like a mini Past in Flames. And by mini Past in Flames, I mean it only really works on one card in your graveyard and a sorcery at that, as opposed to all instants and sorceries. That said, its flashback cost especially can be a bit hefty, However, the idea of giving a sorcery in your graveyard flashback equal to its mana cost can actually be a lot better sometimes because there are on occasion really powerful cards that have low mana costs, but making it able to be recurrable makes it even better. Also, red is a color that loves its impulse draw, as in drawing, discarding, or discarding, and then drawing. You could safely pitch this card from your hand early in the game and have it just be pure value late in the game. Like I said, this is good for all the same reasons that a card like Past in Flames is good. It's just a smaller, more budget-friendly version. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you. It is very similar to Past in Flames. I mean, again, if you're running Past in Flames, why would you not want to run Recoup? Like, if you're trying to get the value out of your graveyard or from previous cards, this is exactly the same thing. And especially in Commander where there's a singleton format, it makes it so being able to get double effect is really good. Like Blasphemous Act, getting that twice, phenomenal. So if you think about it, almost all board wipes are sorceries. So pretty much what this card reads is for an extra two mana, you get to pay a sorcery spell, which can be a board wipe, a draw spell, and even from the grave, it can be a plus four onto whatever tax. The only thing I can say that'd be kind of bad about this, and you run into the same problem with past and flames, is that sometimes the mana cost does add up. Like for example, if you want to run something that is a board wipe, running four, to use this flashback on that flashback, that's eight mana right there. So it's good in a pinch, but it can get a little mana hungry. Well, actually, you run into that problem on my next card. This is my blue card from the part of my color wheel. It's called Shifty Doppelganger. It costs two colorless and a blue. It is a creature shapeshifter, and it's a 1-1. One, one. For three colorless and a blue, remove Shifty Doppelganger from the game. Put a creature card from your hand into play. That creature gains haste until the end of the turn. At the end of the turn, sacrifice that creature. If you do, return Shifty Doppelganger to play. I love this card on so many different levels. It really is good to cheat different cards into play that are way under that mana cost. So for four mana, you get pretty much anything. You can somehow put your commander into play from your hand. You can bring a Blight Steel. You can bring any Eldrazi. And it comes into play and it gets pink. Bam. But also a really good thing about this is that, yeah, you can use this on multiple people's turns as long as you had the mana. Because he's going to keep coming back into play. So provided that your creature that you have attacks, survives the attack, gets sacrificed, this guy will come back in and you can keep abusing this like crazy. Now for any longtime fans of Magic, this to me, and I think you'll know what I mean, is basically Blue's version of Sneak Attack. And since Sneak Attack is one of the probably best cards ever printed in Magic, I think that's probably pretty safe to say. Having it in a color other than red is obviously pretty good, especially a color like blue that doesn't usually get these kinds of things very often. This is a pretty nice spin on the whole clone thing as well. Given that it's basically sneak attack, a bit more expensive, but stapled onto a creature. Interesting choice. I do, I definitely think this card is worth your number three slot. I personally would play the heck out of this card because it looks like so much fun. And again, it's a much more budget-friendly alternative to something like Sneak Attack, provided you're in the right colors, of course. Speaking of things that I wish saw more play, I think that kind of translates over to my number three card, too, because we have Karmic Justice, which is a white enchantment that just has an incredibly powerful effect, honestly. For the low, low cost of three mana... Two and a white. It is a white enchantment, as I said, that just kind of sits there the entire game doing what you want it to do. So whenever a spell or ability an opponent controls destroys a non-creature permanent that you control, you may then destroy target permanent that opponent controls. Now, I think the most important thing to note with Karmic Justice is it is not really a reciprocal effect. It has to be an ability your opponent controls, so you can't just go sacrificing your own things willy-nilly. It's not like a Grave Pact, sadly. However, this ability, when you think about it, can be just oh-so-good. I mean, if they try to destroy, let's say, an enchantment of yours, if they try to destroy a land of yours, for example, you can then destroy something 
they control. I mean, it's basically, the name says it all. It is karmic justice. However, it is destroy any permanent they control. So if they blow up a land of yours, you can blow up a creature of theirs. If they get rid of an enchantment of yours, you can get rid of an artifact of theirs. Or a planeswalker. Or anything. Any target permanent. It really doesn't matter. This is just a pure punishment card where if you mess with me, I'm going to mess with you harder. I really, really like that. And this is a good tool for the kind of white enchantress type decks that generally like having lots of enchantments or something like that out on the field and don't want them to go away. This is a pretty good incentive to say to your opponents, hands off my stuff. Yeah, definitely. And actually to note, this card used to be one of the more money cards of the set until the recent reprint. So, I mean, now seeing the price go down, it's a good time to pick these up. But like you were saying, it makes it so whenever an opponent is going to hit anything that is yours, like even if this sees play for only one spell, it's still very, very strong. Because it, it is balancing out the, the destruction that you see. So if this is out and somebody board swipes you and you have eight creatures and they don't have any eight creatures and their board's empty, they're losing eight lands and they're definitely aware of that fact. So that'll make them hold back on any board wipe that they have. So now coming into my number two spot is we're hitting the black part of my pie to a card called Skeletal Scrying. It costs X and black. It's an instant that reads, as an additional cost to playing this, you need to remove X cards from your graveyard from the game. You draw X cards and lose X life. Now, if you haven't seen already, this whole entire block is based off of using the graveyard, discarding cards, and getting extra abilities out of cards that you've used only once. This is such a good early game, mid game, and late game card because it can get the value out of stuff that you don't even need anymore. You play Kodama's Reach, you don't need it anymore because you can't recur it, let's exile it and draw another card from it. Like if it's a late game, you lost a lot of stuff but you don't need it anymore because your hand's empty, let's replenish it. Let's take a little life and let's get a whole bunch of advantage. Plus it's instant speed. So you can choose to use this on an opponent's turn, come in, get a fresh card on your turn, and have whatever answer you need as well. I don't have too much here to add, Stu, except that I think you're absolutely right. I do really like the idea of this card. I'm a little hesitant because of the fact that it does scale with the course of the game, which is good, but you have to pay potentially a lot of life, a lot of mana, and exile a lot of cards from your graveyard in order to end up balancing it out by drawing a lot of cards. But I think the real money here is the fact that it is at instant speed, so you can feel pretty safe doing that whenever the best opportunity is that suits you. I think this is a pretty powerful option to have in a Black Dex arsenal. Yeah, and again, remember, Black has the whole mentality. It's like, I don't care what it takes. I'm sacrificing what I have in order to win, and this totally is Black to its core for that. And I mean, we do see this getting reprinted uh, once in Conspiracy and also in one of the Commander sets. But this was the original printing for this. So could you imagine only seeing this in this set when it first came out? It's just so powerful. It really, really can, like you said, scale with the game. But you don't necessarily need to draw like 20 cards. Like maybe you can. Like there are a lot of decks where it's like, hey, let me draw out my deck and then play what I need and then I win. This is just another enabler for it. Now, going from all of the draw to maybe none of the draw, this is probably a card that will make a lot of people look at me really funny, but I picked it to be on my list at number two especially, just because you don't really see this effect almost anywhere else. It's just such a mind-boggling and bizarre card that seems horrible on the face of it. When you start thinking about it, there are some potential niche uses for it. 
So the card I'm talking about is Obstinate Familiar. It's a lizard, and it is a one-drop, one-one red creature. And its ability, it only has one, is if you would draw a card, you may skip that draw instead. This card doesn't offer you any beneficial alternatives for not drawing a card. It just says, hey, if you don't want to draw a card, you don't have to draw a card. Now, you would think, other than the virtue of this being a 1-1 one, one for 1, which is a relatively aggressive template of a card, it's like, why would you ever play this ever? It seems like no deck would ever want this. But just think about it for a minute. This card can actually be kind of useful in a number of situations. First off the top of my head, being in a Madness and Hellbent type deck, where you really don't want there to be any cards in your hand, and if you would rather be recurring stuff from the grave or playing around with other zones rather than things from your hand, this card can keep the Hellbent turned on for you so you don't have to worry about those kind of things. Also, as I'm sure I don't have to tell a lot of seasoned Magic players out there, there are plenty of times where drawing cards is actually not something you want to do. If somebody's trying to mill you out with a giant blue sun zenith, if they're trying to, like a Nekusar deck, kill you by doing damage to you by having you draw cards, or something like Force Fruition, which every time you play something is just going to go that much closer to milling you out, that's the kind of situations where this card actually becomes kind of good. This one is kind of goofy, but I picked it just because it is like that. I have to agree with you, Kyle. I mean, the value is there for it. Like, it passes the vanilla test, which is really good. And it also gives you an effect that is uncommon, but it is useful in certain sites. Like like you said, if you're building a deck to make everyone draw and they take damage when they draw, you'd like to be able to protect yourself. Or if you're coming close to milling yourself out because you're playing a mill deck, yeah, you want to make it so that you cannot draw. And another uh, commander that would be great for this is, again, if you use the Red God card that we've seen in Amonkhet. Making it so that you keep no cards in your hand is sometimes more valuable. So, yeah, an unnatural choice, I would say, for you, but I can definitely see why you'd pick it. Yeah, I definitely went out of the box for this one. And again, I have no idea what the practicality of this card is. I really don't think this is just something you shove into a deck on the off chance that it might be helpful. But hey... Maybe it's a good sideboard card somewhere along the line. Maybe you have kind of a weird deck that could use this kind of effect. Either way, I think especially as a rare, I think it's a card that is worth a lot more attention than it currently gets. Now, ending up my color pie with green, we have the one card that absolutely blew me away. And, I mean, it literally blew me away because I don't know, I've never heard of this card before. It's called Zoologist. And yes, he knows about animals. Um, it costs four mana, three and one green. It is a creature human druid, and for four mana, you can tap it. Now, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, put it into play. Otherwise, put it into your graveyard. So, when you think of this, well, the first card that pops in my head is it's very similar to Elvish Piper. Like, you can cheat a card into play. The only thing different with this compared to Elvish Piper is that it's from the top of your deck. Which, at first, you're like, alright, well, I'll play the game of chance, and if I might get lucky, I'll hit a creature. And, you know, maybe it'll cost more, maybe it'll cost less. That is true, but you're not thinking about it the right way. The real thing is, is how many ways are we able to manipulate or know the top card of our deck? Like, we have Sylvan Library, we have Sensei's Divining Top. But, I mean, if you go away from that, we also have different commanders that can totally abuse that. Like, Mormir Vig is a Simic commander who's able to tutor cards to the deck and into the hand. So, being able to put some sort of giant fatty on top of the deck 
and then for four mana, bring it out is incredible. And I mean, yes, this is a weaker kind of guy. It is a one-two, but for having that much power on a card, it definitely warrants its stats. This is an interesting kind of spin on the Elvish Piper type effect, and I do like it for pretty much all the reasons that you said in a Simic deck or even a Teamer deck with a card like Intet the Dreamer as your commander, where top card matters type deck. I have seen those kinds of decks played before using Sensei's Divining Top and Soothsaying and those kind of cards, even, you know, Magus of the Future, Future Sight, those kind of cards. This can do some pretty awesome stuff. As long as you are aware what the top card of your deck is going to be, this card can be pretty helpful, and always cheating creatures into play like this is usually a pretty good thing. You just have to be aware of its conditions, otherwise, heck yeah, I would play the heck out of this card. Go nuts. Now, you're number one here. I don't know, man. You're, you're going towards that number two trend here. I'm totally scratching my head on this, so tell me why this is your number one. Well, there are some sentimental reasons behind it, as well as practical reasons, but my number one card is Shadow Mage Infiltrator. It is a three-drop blue and black creature, which one blue and a black, obviously. It is a human wizard, nice relevant creature types there. First of all, it has fear, which means it can't be blocked except by artifact creatures and or black creatures. It is a 1-3, so pretty cool stats there, I suppose. But whenever Shadow Mage Infiltrator deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. It may not seem like anything flashy, and certainly this wouldn't pass for a rare in today's world. This would probably be an uncommon. The reason I picked this card is, one, mostly because of sentimental reasons. Fun fact, this was the very first magic card that I ever owned. Another reason is because this single card as the first magic card I ever owned was what convinced me that blue and black Demir was the best color combination because I mean for me this card just simplifies everything about blue and black with a color combination that I most love into one card form it has it all reasonably costed body for relatively decent defensive sort of stats which I do kind of like it can hit people with its evasion and the fact that it doesn't hit him for a lot doesn't matter, because it also has built-in card advantage. That combination of factors, cheap cost, evasion, card advantage. And in these colors, that kind of goes along with everything of what blue and black want to do. May not be the best card of this type, or the most powerful, but I always have a soft spot in my heart for Shadow Mage Infiltrator. I love the heck out of this card. Well, I can't argue the nostalgia with you. And I mean, yes, if you do read this the right way, it more or less says, hey, you know, draw a card each turn, provided that somebody doesn't have an artifact or they're not playing black. For me personally, that kind of risk isn't exactly the reason I would run this card, just because, you know, if they are running black, this doesn't do anything. Or if they are artifact heavy, it's, you know, can hit or miss. Now, drawing a card every turn for free, yeah, that value is obviously big in magic and we see that in a variety of different cards not my number one spot good card but i mean it's up to whoever's using it so that's our pool time today if the water felt just right be sure to check out our following video in which we discuss the top 10 money cards of odyssey 
And if you didn't like the toys we were playing with today, be sure to tell us your favorites from this set in the comments down below. And if that's not your style, of course, you can always tweet us at mtgthecardpool or email us at mtgthecardpool at gmail.com. I'm Kyle Robertson. And I'm Stu Galetta, and we'll see you next time on The Card Pool.